This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success. With your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. Welcome to episode number three of Hitting the Mark. By now, you may have noticed that the founders and investors I invite to be on this podcast come from all different parts of the brand spectrum, but they share one thing. When I came across them, I felt that they have an intriguing story and that they would look at branding in a unique way, solely based on that journey and the offering, and that we can all take away a lesson or two about branding, but, but also about entrepreneurship, about gutsy moves and passion that led to perseverance. Today you're in for a treat, a mouth-watering treat that sadly will remain a verbal-only treat to you and me, as we will spend this episode with an innovator in a segment a lot of us would love to dive right into, Kentucky bourbon. That's right, we're talking bourbon today. My guest is Matt Chamey. Matt is a self-taught chef from Louisville, Kentucky. He's the founder, president, and CEO of Bourbon Barrel Foods and the author of the Eat Your Bourbon cookbook. Bourbon Barrel Foods is the original microbrewer of soy sauce in America and a manufacturer of gourmet food products that represent the rich history and heritage of Kentucky's bourbon country. If words could get you drunk, I would not be able to guarantee any of the listeners to remain sober during the session. Matt, thanks for taking the time to be here with us today. Thanks for having me on. That was quite the intro. Thank you very much. (laughs) <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about your beginnings. I'm, I'm sure you get this asked uh, more, more than once. Um, but how does one end up with a soy sauce microbrewery of all things? Um, yeah, I, it, it does get quite a few uh, weird looks. But, um, you know, I guess the, the most surprising thing to people is that I'm a blonde haired guy in Kentucky that makes soy sauce for a living. <laughs> um, but I, you know, like you said, I'm a self-taught self-taught chef. I, I worked in the restaurant industry for a number of years, um, but it was angling for a way out and, you know, wanted to be within the food industry still. And so I was looking at the gourmet food sector and uh, wanted to do something unique and that hadn't been done before. And so I, I, I stumbled on soy sauce uh, for a number of years. Um, my son was born in 2003 and, you know, leading up to, to him, I would, you know, I, I started researching it and then I was a stay at home dad. And so while he was napping, I was, uh, I was Googling, you know, how to make soy sauce. So <laughs> a lot of similarities and parallels between the distilling of bourbon, the brewing of soy sauce, uh, not only in process, but also in uh, history and heritage. So this was, you know, 2006 is when I actually started selling product. Um, You know, I designed the whole business to kind of ride the coattails of the bourbon industry's success. And, you know, we've been in it 12 years and I I feel like we've, um, you know, we've successfully achieved that. And you must have also seen the artisanal food trend uh, pretty early on and, and found the niche within that that you could actually own, which is, which is not easy to do because there's many players in, in that uh, space right now, in the artisanal food space. Oh, a- absolutely. You know, as a chef, if you, 
if you're uh, if you're any good, I mean, you you really are you're quick to identify trends, you know, whether they're, um, you know, just culinarily uh, within the restaurant, you know, where you're sourcing things. But, you know, you know, back then had just started to become really important to customers. Uh, and then you're, you're sourcing things from people that, you know, are making something uh, that you can romanticize on your menu. You know, I, it was, you know, people were, were, you know, starting their own bakeries. We were getting artisanal bread into the restaurant. You know, there were these, you know, small uh, fishermen that uh, we would visit the docks to buy fish from and, you know, clams, oysters, all those relationships, all those stories were selling points on the menu. And so I noticed a lot of that. Um, and I wanted to have a product like that because, you know, I, you know, I, I'm a romantic. Um, you know, I, I appreciate things like that. Um, and you know, that's what I wanted in a company. And so I, I worked really hard to, you know, identify you know, what wasn't being done yet. And so soy sauce was it, um, you know, I immediately, when you have an idea that you just think is great, I think, you know, smart people, even maybe not so smart people will, will take that initial step to, to put search terms in Google and see if, if the idea has been done before I did that, no one was doing it. And then I guess the next logical question is why, and then I couldn't find a good reason why I shouldn't do it. And so I pursued it, um, blindly. I might say I, I <laughs> wasn't going to not do this idea. Um, I wrote a very thorough business plan. Um, I struggled with what to name it and then it just kind of hit me. One time when I was driving, it was like, oh, bluegrass soy sauce, that's silly. Why was I trying to name it something really uh, obscure that no one else would know existed, um, like the name of a waterway in Kentucky? I mean, people are more able to identify with the state of Kentucky. We're known as the bluegrass state. So, you know, that that was kind of uh, lucky with the branding and the name. And then, you know, I soy sauce takes a minimum of six months to make we we take a year to make ours um so i had to figure out how to pay for it and so i came up with something uh called bourbon smoked sea salt after i had been shopping in whole foods and saw a bourbon or i saw a chardonnay smoked floor to sell and it was like 20 bucks for like eight ounces if that mm. Um, and I immediately went home and smoked some sea salt with barrel staves and was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do bourbon smoked sea salt. You know, now I have about 13 different spices that we smoke with barrel staves. Um, so I kind of hit on something there. You know, the, the products that we were developing were either barrel aged or barrel smoked and no one else was doing it. And we couldn't, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know why no one else was doing this. Maybe no one really thought of it the way we did. And um, we kind of transformed the, the gourmet foods industry, you know, locally. And I think on a national level with the way we were using the barrels, um, no one was doing it. And I, to me, it just made perfect sense. I, I, I was lucky in that no one else was doing it. When I filed the articles for incorporation at the state, for the name Bourbon Barrel Foods, the Secretary of State was like, I can't believe this name's available. And it was like, you know, <laughs> stuff's just lining up for me. Um, you know, and then our 
the person that's been with me the longest is my graphic designer. And we used to, you know, meet during her lunch hour. I mean, I was trying to start a company and she actually had a real job. Um, so we would meet during lunch and from the very first drawing she did, uh, she just nailed it. You know, that barrel with the fork and the spoon is our look, you know, I mean, it's, um, it's our brand. So, so while, while we're at this, because this is, this is fascinating to me um, as a brand strategist, looking at those really cool labels that you produced over, over the years, they have almost like a medicinal feel to them. And surprisingly, all of them are branded in a kind of anti-brand manner, which makes them super legit and quite frankly, very desirable. But how did you come about that? Like not leading with the big logo and the uniformity to all of your, all of your products. Was it organic or was it on purpose? And would you advise others to follow suit to this or you just own the segment so you can actually do that? Well, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, from the get-go, um, you know, when you're a startup company, you know, you, you kind of have to buy containers that are, you know, not specific to your brand. They're not proprietary. Right. They're, they're available across a number of different um, uh, markets. You know, the, what I found out early was that, you know, cosmetic industry has the same sort of standards that the food industry does when it comes to containers. And so you shop from from a website or you you shop from a company that makes tins or bottles. But, you know, companies that are starting can't afford to, you know, have a mold made for a bottle that they want to use as cool as it might right. be. I mean, so you, you have to work with what you have. And so you dress them up. And I think you'll see a lot of products these days that are on the market have that apothecary type look to them. Um, you know, we... We utilize some of those containers, but we, you know, we we want to brand it differently. Um, I didn't want it to have that kind of. I don't want to say hipster, but it's yeah, hipster look. Um, <laughs> we try and avoid that craft color in our products. Um, yeah. You know, we're using those containers, but we, you know, it's. I would say that it's it's thoughtfully done the way you you mentioned you know we don't uh, I mean, we, we do it we do it intentionally now I'm not sure how intentional it was at the beginning if that makes sense that does make sense right yeah and I look okay. at your handcrafted soy sauce like the full line all four of them and each one of them has a very distinctively different different label but but that to me is is beautiful in a way because you don't need to have that uniformity because people must already know you or they, they seek this, um, you know, very niche product. And so you, you don't really have big competitors in the U.S. at this point. Is that right? I don't. I don't. And the soy sauce, you know, my company is called Bourbon Barrel Foods, but I don't think you'll see any branding on the front of the label and any of the soy products that say Bourbon Barrel Foods. And I did that right. intentionally. You know, the, the soy sauce is it's my it's the genesis of my company. It was my first product. Um, I want it to stand alone. And so, you know, the company uh, is Bourbon Barrel Foods, but Bluegrass Soy Sauce uh, is the product that we lead with all the time. Um, you know, and I, I, that was intentional. On the back label, you'll see our logo and our address. Um, but, you know, I, I think that a product like that deserves to stand alone. And that was intentional. 
I love that. I absolutely love it. And and I, I because of that, I feel like it 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 looks very desirable. It looks very real. And it goes back to what you called the romance. That that there's something about. If, if if branding is really empathetic and it is really honest, then then it actually it is about romance in a way. And ta- talking about talking about that, let's go back to uh, your key product, the bluegrass soy sauce. Let me read uh, these this one paragraph from your website real quick, so that listeners can get a get a good idea of what this is about. Um, by law, bourbon barrels can only be used once to age bourbon. They are then sold for a variety of uses. By using the barrels as an aging vessel, the soy sauce becomes infused with the essence of Kentucky's finest bourbon and the rich, oaky flavors from the charred barrels. Non-GMO soybeans, soft red winterweed, and limestone-filtered water are combined with solar-evaporated sea salt to create the soy mash. Each barrel of bluegrass soy sauce ages for a year inside the barrels until it is pressed and the final product is bottled. Once bottled, each label is hand-numbered by batch and bottle. Our nod to the small batch bourbon makers. So to me, this is just, you know, plain brand poetry, you know, but but the hand-numbered part, that is that is fascinating. Can you, can you keep that up? I mean, is that scalable to actually personalize each one of them? Um... The bourbon industry manages to do it, and I've visited those those uh, bottling floors where they're still hand lettering bottles, and they have it down. You know, we're not quite doing that volume with that product yet. You know, I'll say it's my most popular. It's not my number one seller. Um, where we keep busy with it is that it's my almost eighty year old father that does the, used to do a majority of the hand lettering on the bottles. <laughs> we tried to create uh, his hand. He's He's left-handed, and I don't know what it is. He's just got this really pretty penmanship, um, <laughs> and he used to—he doesn't do them all anymore. Um, but in order to get that, uh, to have that—what what is the word I'm looking for? They have uh, not everybody is allowed to do it, so you have to—I have to look at your handwriting. You know, we had one time where we had. Uh, we had a young lady that was doing the hand lettering of the of the labels, and no one let me see it before it went out, and it was all bubbly. Um, you know, I would have thought you could have seen a smiley face on on the yeah. label, and I was like, yeah. no, 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 no. And so, you have to. I mean, it's not like a test or anything, but before anybody is allowed to write on those labels, I have to okay their handwriting. Um, but yeah, it's something you can keep up. And it's something that our customers appreciate. You know, it, it was a topic of conversation uh, a while back that, you know, maybe we go to some computer generated uh, lettering and numbering system. You know, some of the bourbon makers do that. The ones that are doing extremely high volume um, that probably couldn't do a hand lettered bottle. Um, and it just wasn't the same. And so it's just something that we do and, you know, we'll continue to do it. I mean, we, we, we make about 5,000 gallons a year of that soy sauce, um, which sound, I don't know if that sounds like a lot to your listeners. <laughs> it sounds like but, a lot. <laughs> so uh, it, it always helps to have a little perspective on things. And so, you know, Kiko Man has plants around the world. They have two headquartered in North America, and those two plants produce 200,000 gallons a day. So, and they most probably you know, 5, 000, don't have... 
they don't have 200,000, um, you know, uh, people labeling um, each, <laughs> each bottle. So that's the no. difference, right? That you actually have no. those 5,000 that you, that you hand, you know, uh, number. That, oh, that's yeah. the magic in it. Yeah. yeah. You know, even the bottles that we send to restaurants, uh, we do a 32-ounce bottle for food service, and those get hand-lettered too. You know, and then the other important part with that, uh, which I think, you know, goes to the, the craftsmanship of the product is that we don't only hand uh, number with batch and bottle number, but they go into the cases in numerical order. So if you buy uh, a six pack of our soy sauce for your retail store, it's very likely that you'll have bottle 001, 002, 003, all the way through 006. You know, that's when that's when a founder's micromanagement actually turns into the romance of a brand. I mean, that's 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 beautiful. And I'm sure that the people that receive it, they, they notice it. And it's these tiny little these tiny little moments that you combine. And that's when you actually create a story around your brand. And and to me, it, it seems like the entire story around your brand is really rooted more in the romance of bourbon country than it is in actual, you know, soy sauce, because obviously very different origins. But is, is it to use it a lifestyle brand at this at this point or, you know, just as much as a food brand? Absolutely. And that's where we see a lot of our growth happening is is becoming a lifestyle brand. Um, you know, there's there's no one in our marketplace that has embraced that. And so we've taken that on as our challenge to do it. Um, you know, we've grown, I think, responsibly uh, over the last 12 years. You know, the, I haven't rushed things at all. Um, I think looking back, we probably had a couple years of, of really, really fast growth. Um, and I, I think looking at my company compared to some other companies, you know, if, you, if I tell you, you know, we're growing – we're right now at about 38% growth for the year. Um, that's still massive, but I was used to being over 50% for like 10 years, you know, but now it's, you know, we, it, it's a little harder to achieve that. Um, so, you know, we, we don't make everything off the selling of our products. You know, I do, I have licensing contracts uh, with a couple bourbon labels uh, that have really helped us to grow. Um, in um, in the cocktail category uh, for bitters and syrups and tinctures and things. Um, but even with that, uh, it allows me to look to really invest in bourbon barrel foods and, you know, try and grow outside categories where we're comfortable, you know, where I'm on the, if you look at our product mix right now, I'm in the spice and sauce aisle, but we've been developing products either through partnerships and collaborations or through just uh, programs where I, I contact a company that is making something that I like and I get my ingredient in it and then it becomes mine um, and then we sell it. So we do that with uh, some charcuterie items and some cheeses. So now I'm in the, I, now I'm in the refrigerated foods aisle with all the cheese and the charcuterie. Um, we are do, in the snack food area now uh, products are just sold locally, but we're getting them packaged to where we can sell them wholesale to uh, our wholesale customers around the country, uh, doing popcorn and cookies um, and different snack mixes. So, you know, we're 
we're trying to get it so that our products appear in more than just one aisle. Um, you know, and on those, on those type items, I'll take a little hit on margin, but for me, it's all about growing our brand and our core items and people starting to see the brand bourbon barrel foods more and more. Right, right. And it's and, and to you, it's about reinvesting the money into something else. And, and it's also about staying true to your brand, because even if you attach your brand to all of these other products, it still goes back to the to the story of bourbon and to the story of, you know, that that's at the heart of your of your heart of, of your brand. Um, Exactly. Let's let's talk about how you when when was that big moment, right? You told me that um, I, well, I read on your site that you've been in Food and Wine magazine, Bizarre Foods, America, all over the the map. But but you got a call from the New York Times one day, <laughs> and then that mm, yes. was that the big moment, or was oh, there boy. any other yeah. big breakthrough? So that was October of two thousand eight. I mean, I remember it, and um, you know. We were contacted. They said uh, I had a publicist at the time. She said the New York Times is interested in doing an article on you. And, you know, the food writer is a, a really big southern food writer. Um, and so we were really excited. And they gave us a date on it of when the interview was going to start. And that date came and went and that called. And I was like, you know, what's going on? And they're like, they're arguing over who gets to write the article. So... <laughs> Immediately, I'm like, oh, wow, very cool. So anyway, the author of the article is John T. Edge, and he is uh, the founder of the Southern Foodways Alliance out of Ole Miss in Oxford, Mississippi. And this was an election. And I think it was a year where the New York Times was getting beaten up over the quality of their articles and the authorship of them. Um, John T. interviewed me a dozen times uh, over the course of less than a week. I think it was six days. He would call me with, and I loved the story. I mean, I, I love his writing, and he's a friend of mine now. And I came to find out it was his first New York Times article. Anyway, he asked me questions, like, because I was telling him the, uh, the lore of how I started my company and where I had that idea. And I was like, you know, I was drinking Budweiser's, eating oysters at an oyster bar in Gainesville, Florida after work one night. And he's writing that down. And I get a call the next day. He's like, were those long necks or was it draft? And <laughs> I'm like, wow. And so we knew that New York Times article was coming out. And uh, my publicist was like, are you ready? And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like, yeah, I'm ready. I mean, let the article roll. And, you know, Let's we see what happens. But, you know, there's there's no better way to find out what's wrong with say your your website your shopping cart than to have you know a couple hundred thousand people try and shop at the same time on your site you know my problems have always been good problems they've been very solvable problems um the new york times article um you know kind of exposed us on some different levels as far as what wasn't working but it also really told us that wow everybody is excited about what we make and you know, we've got something here. And so it was, it was, it, it legitimized my idea as far as I was concerned. Um, and we've, we've done nothing but grow ever since, you know, it, uh, it, the, the soy sauce is what everybody calls us about. You know, I have over 50 products now that we sell. Um, you know, I've visited, uh, Tokyo five times since I started my company 
but I didn't visit them until I had actually been making soy sauce for 10 years. And when I got over there and, you know, I was talking to, you know, a guy who's now one of my closest business friends, he's, his family's been making soy sauce for 130 years and he's been voted best in the world 12 times. Um, he's, he himself was like, it's almost as important in your story that you did not come here for the first 10 years of business because otherwise you'd be making something that we already had and that exactly. you know, wasn't different. Um, we argued a bit on camera because I did a TV, I was on a TV show over there <laughs> with him um, about the type of water we were using you know, to make our soy sauce. It was like, it's limestone filtered. It's what the distillers use. It's, it's a hard water. It has body. He's like, water for soy sauce needs to be soft. You know, it, it's got to be more gentle. But then when I explained to him, you know, why the water is the way it is in my part of the country and in my state, it's like, it makes total sense that you do that. You know, the American soy sauce user is a lot different than the Japanese one. You know, our white rice becomes brown rice. We use so much of the product. Um, you know, we want that bold flavor in our condiments as Americans. You know, it's not right. It's, I mean, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I mean, mm -hmm. but in the Japanese culture, if you taste the soy sauce over, say, uh, a piece of sashimi, um, it's insulting to the fish. It's supposed right. to in, enhance flavor. You know, it's just like... You know, a French chef's technique with salt and pepper. Salt enhances flavor, pepper changes flavor. So, you know, that's their belief with soy sauce. And, you know, my soy sauce is very American. You know, we're, it's, it's in your face, brash, rude sometimes. But, um, you know, we, we make it in a very Japanese style. You know, and, uh, you know, once you buy it, you can use it whichever way you want. You know, obviously we use it as more of a finisher and it is uh there to complement um but you know it's it, it is uh it's the product we lead with it's you know the fact that it's sold in tokyo again uh it's sold in tokyo and osaka um that's amazing, it, that's you know, amazing. I've, I've used the word legitimize once before but again <laughs> Yeah. I, I mean, I'll remind everybody since they can't. I'm a blonde haired guy in Kentucky that makes soy sauce. So. This, I, I absolutely love that story. I, I, I love your story. And we could we could talk forever. I, I kind of have this self-inflicted, uh, you know, like around 20, 25 minute, uh, you know, cap on this podcast because I want people to, to listen to this on, on their commute. I guess not in L.A. because the commute is like an hour. But um, my, my, my last my last question. So you're you're surrounded daily by real bourbon barrels that have actual physical brand marks on them. But what? What does branding mean to you? Like, like w maybe you have one piece of brand advice for founders as a takeaway. I know we talked a lot about the romance of, 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 of what, what a brand really can be and, and how the story is being told. But any advice for, for the listeners of like what they should or should not do or how they should go about thinking about their own brand? So branding is like equity in the company. And, you know, I... You know, over the last 12 years, I've learned a lot about both. I don't think in the beginning I held either one of them very dear. Um, I am protective, like very protective of both of them now. Our brand in particular, I don't like, we don't mess with it. 
we are very particular with how it's used. Um, you know, we have, uh, it's trademarked. I've, I've sued companies over infringements, um, almost a dozen times and we've won, um, all of them. Um, you know, it, once you establish it and it's so difficult to establish a brand, um, you've got to protect it. Um, I would not, I think I would hold it in higher regard. Um, well, at least as in high regard as equity as I would, uh, my brand it's, you know, I'm fortunate to where, you know, we've achieved that we're in, we're in year 12. Um, it, uh, people know my brand, you know, I, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. lucky that it's that recognizable. So I'm fortunate. I'm very fortunate with that. Um, yeah. Does that answer your that. question? That's, no, that's a, okay. that's that's great. That's that's great advice, and it's also unusual advice because uh, people are pretty pretty go go leisurely around the, about about the mm -hmm. trademark infringement cases and like how they actually protect their brand. And I think that's uh, that's key, especially in your in your industry. So that was a really good share. So for everyone listening um, who fell in love with your your product um, just verbally, <laughs> where where can they find out more about it? Well, they can go to our website, bourbonbarrelfoods.com. There's a store locator option on there. You can see if it's sold somewhere near you. Um, you know, we also sell, of course, from our website. Um, it's sold on Amazon as well. Uh, but you'll find more options on our website. Perfect. Awesome. Well, and if they, if, if they visit Louisville, I have two retail stores here. Oh, that's great. That's really great. Congrats. That's um, I actually visited Louisville, and um, as it should be, I, I don't remember too much uh, besides, you know, having really great. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Matt. This was tons of fun and, and greatly insightful. Really appreciate it. No, I, I'm 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 glad it worked out. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And if this episode provided you with insights and perhaps even a bit of joy, then please hit that subscribe button and give the show a quick rating wherever you listen to podcasts. It sure is much appreciated. This podcast is brought to you by Finian, a brand consultancy creating strategic verbal and visual brand clarity. You can learn more about Finian and download free white papers to support your own brand launch or rebranding efforts at Finian.com. The Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by happiness one i will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark <laughs>